0: Chapter 6 of Herndon's Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chuck Williamson. Herndon's Lincoln by William H. Herndon and Jesse William Wake. Section 8 since the days when in indiana lincoln sat on the river's bank with little kate roby dangling his bare feet in the water there has been no hint in these pages of tender relations with any one of the opposite sex now we approach in timely order the great passion of his life a romance of much reality the memory of which threw a melancholy shade over the remainder of his days For the first time, our hero falls in love. The courtship with Anne Rutledge and her untimely death form the saddest page in Mr. Lincoln's history. I am aware that most of his biographers have taken issue with me on this phase of Lincoln's life. Arnold says the picture has been somewhat too highly colored and the story made rather too tragic. Dr. Holland and others omit the subject altogether while the most recent biography the admirable history by my friends Nikolai and hay devotes but five lines to it i knew miss rutledge myself as well as her father and other members of the family and have been personally acquainted with every one of the score or more of witnesses whom i at one time or another interviewed on this delicate subject from my own knowledge and the information thus obtained i therefore repeat that the memory of ann rutledge was the saddest chapter in mr lincoln's life footnote in a letter dated december fourth eighteen sixty six one of miss rutledge's brothers writes when he first came to new salem and up to the day of ann's death mr lincoln was all life and animation he seemed to see the bright side of every picture End of footnote. james rutledge the father of this interesting girl was one of the founders of new salem having come here from kentucky in eighteen twenty nine he was born in south carolina and belonged to the noted rutledge family of that state I knew him as early as 1833 and have often shared the hospitality of his home. My father was a politician and an extensive stock dealer in that early day, and he and Mr. Rutledge were great friends. The latter was a man of no little force of character. Those who knew him best loved him the most. Like other southern people, he was warm almost to impulsiveness social and generous his hospitality an inherited quality that flashed with him before he was born developed by contact with the brave and broad-minded people whom he met in illinois besides his business interest in the store and mill at new salem he kept the tavern where lincoln came to board in eighteen thirty three his family besides himself and wife consisted of nine children three of whom were born in kentucky the remaining six in illinois and the subject of this chapter was the third child she was a beautiful girl and by her winning ways attached people to her so firmly that she soon became the most popular young lady in the village she was quick of apprehension industrious and an excellent housekeeper she had a moderate education but was not cultured except by contrast with those around her one of her strong points was her womanly skill she was dexterous in the use of the needle an accomplishment of far more value in that day than all the acquirements of art in china painting and hammered brass are in this and her needlework was the wonder of the day. At every quilting, Anne was a necessary adjunct, and her nimble fingers drove the needle more swiftly than any one's else. Lincoln used to escort her to and from these quilting bees, and on one occasion even went into the house where men were considered out of place, and sat by her side as she worked on the quilt he whispered into her ear the old old story her heart throbbed and her soul was thrilled with a joy as old as the world itself her fingers momentarily lost their skill in her ecstasy she made such irregular and uneven stitches that the older and more sedate women noted it and the owner of the quilt until a few years ago still retaining it as a precious souvenir pointed out the memorable stitches to such persons as visited her l m green who remembered anne well says she was amiable and of exquisite beauty and her intellect was quick deep and philosophic as well as brilliant she had a heart as gentle and kind as an angel and full of love and sympathy her sweet and angelic nature was noted by everyone who met her she was a woman worthy of lincoln's love this is a little overstated as to beauty green writes as if he too had been in love with her but is otherwise nearly correct miss rutledge says a lady who knew her had auburn hair blue eyes fair complexion she was pretty slightly slender but in everything a good-hearted young woman she was about five feet two inches high and weighed in the neighborhood of a hundred and twenty pounds she was beloved by all who knew her she died as it were of grief in speaking of her death and her grave lincoln once said to me my heart lies buried there before narrating the details of lincoln's courtship with miss rutledge it is proper to mention briefly a few facts that occurred before their attachment began about the same time that lincoln drifted into new salem there came from the eastern states john McNeil, a young man of enterprise and great activity seeking his fortune in the west He went to work at once, and within a short time had accumulated by commendable effort a comfortable amount of property. Within three years he owned a farm, and a half-interest with Samuel Hill in the leading store. He had good capacity for business, and was a valuable addition to that already pretentious village, New Salem it was while living at james cameron's house that this plucky and industrious young business man first saw anne rutledge at that time she was attending the school of mentor graham a pedagogue of local renown whose name is frequently met with in these pages and who flourished in and around new salem from 1829 to 1860 mcneil fell deeply in love with the schoolgirl she was then only seventeen and paid her the usual unremitting attentions young lovers of that age had done before him and are still doing to-day His partner in the store, Samuel Hill, a young man of equal force of character who afterwards amassed a comfortable fortune and also wielded no little influence as a local politician, laid siege to the heart of this same attractive maiden. But he yielded up the contest early. Anne rejected him, and he dropped from the race. McNeil had clear sailing from this time forward. He was acquiring property and money day by day. As one of the pioneers puts it, men were honest then, and paid their debts at least once a year. The merchant surrounded by a rich country suffered little by competition. As he placed his goods on the shelf, he added an advance of from seventy-five to one hundred and fifty per cent over cost price and thus managed to get along after managing thus for several years mcneil having disposed of his interest in the store to hill determined to return to new york his native state for a visit he had accumulated up to this time, as near as we can learn, ten or possibly twelve thousand dollars. Before leaving, he made to Anne a singular revelation. He told her the name McNeil was an assumed one, that his real name was McNamer. I left behind me in New York, he said, my parents and brothers and sisters. They are poor and were in more or less need when i left them in eighteen twenty nine i vowed that i would come west make a fortune and go back to help them i am going to start now and intend if i can to bring them with me on my return to illinois and place them on my farm he expressed a deep sense of satisfaction in being able to clear up all mysteries which might have formed in the mind of her to whom he confided his love he would keep nothing he said from her they were engaged to be married and she should know it all the change of his name was occasioned by the fear that if the family in new york had known where he was they would have settled down on him and before he could have accumulated any property would have sunk him beyond recovery now however he was in a condition to help them and he felt overjoyed at that thought as soon as the journey to new york could be made he would return once again in New Salem, he and his fair one could consummate the great event to which they looked forward to with undisguised joy and unbounded hope. Thus, he explained to Anne the purpose of his journey, a story with some remarkable features, all of which she fully believed, Quote, she would have believed it all the same if it had been 10 times as incredible a wise man would have rejected it with scorn but the girl's instinct was a better guide and McNamer proved to be all that he said he was although poor Anne never saw the proof which others got of it. End footnote lamont page 161 end footnote At last, McNamer, mounting an old horse that had participated in the Black Hawk War, began his journey. In passing through Ohio, he became ill with fever. For almost a month, he was confined to his room, and a portion of the time was unconscious. As he approached a return to good health, he grew nervous over the delay in his trip. He told no one around him his real name, destination, or business. He knew how his failure to write to New Salem would be construed, and the resulting irritation gave way to a feeling of desperation. In plainer language, he concluded it was all up with him now. Meanwhile, a different view of the matter was taken by Miss Rutledge her friends encouraged the idea of cruel desertion the change of mcneil to mcnamer had wrought in their minds a change of sentiment Some contended that he had undoubtedly committed a crime in his earlier days, and for years had rested secure from apprehension under the shadow of an assumed name, while others, with equal assurance, whispered in the unfortunate girl's ear the old story of a rival in her affections. Anne's lady friends, strange to relate, did more to bring about a discordant feeling than all others women are peculiar creatures they love to nettle and mortify one another and when one of their own sex has fallen how little sympathy they seem to have but under all this fire in the face of all these insidious criticisms anne remained firm she had faith and bided her time mcnamer after much vexatious delay finally reached his birthplace in new york finding his father in the decline of years and health he provided for his immediate needs and by his assiduous attentions undertook to atone for the years of his neglect but all to no purpose the old gentleman gradually faded from the world and early one winter morning crossed the great river mcnamer was thus left to settle up the few unfinished details of his father's estate and to provide for the pressing needs of the family his detention necessitated a letter to anne explaining the nature and cause of the delay other letters followed but each succeeding one growing less ardent in tone and more formal in phraseology than its predecessor and began to lose faith had his love gradually died away like the morning wind was a question she often asked herself she had stood firm under fire before but now her heart grew sick with hope deferred at last the correspondence ceased altogether at this point we are favored with the introduction of the ungainly lincoln as a suitor for the hand of miss rutledge lincoln had learned of mcnamer's strange conduct and conjecturing that all the silken ties that bound the two together had been sundered ventured to step in himself He had seen the young lady when a mere girl at Minter Graham School, and he no doubt then had formed a high opinion of her qualities. But he was too bashful, as his friend Ellis declares, to tell her of it. No doubt when he began to pay her attentions, she was the most attractive young lady whom up to that time he had ever met she was not only modest and winning in her ways and full of good womanly common sense but withal refined in contrast with the uncultured people who surrounded both herself and lincoln she had a secret too and a sorrow the unexplained and painful absence of mcnamer which no doubt made her all the more interesting to him whose spirit was often even more melancholy than her own in after years mcnamer himself describing her to me said miss rutledge was a gentle amiable maiden without any of the airs of your city belles but winsome and comely withal A blonde in complexion with golden hair, cherry-red lips, and a bonny blue eye. As to her literary attainments, she undoubtedly was as classic a scholar as Mr. Lincoln. She had, at the time she met him, I believe, attended a literary institution at Jacksonville, in company with her brother. McNamur seems to have considered Lincoln's bashfulness as proof against the alluring charms of Miss Rutledge or anybody else, for he continues, Mr. Lincoln was not, to my knowledge, paying particular attention to any of the young ladies of my acquaintance when I left for my home in New York. There was no rivalry between us on that score on the contrary i had every reason to believe him my warm personal friend but by and by i was left so far behind in the race i did not deem my chances worthy of notice from this time forward he made rapid strides to that imperishable fame which justly fills a world lincoln began to court miss rutledge in dead earnest like david copperfield he soon realized that he was in danger of becoming deeply in love and as he approached the brink of the pit he trembled lest he should indeed fall in as he pleaded and pressed his cause the rutledges and all new salem encouraged his suit mcnamer's unexplained absence and apparent neglect furnished outsiders with all the arguments needed to encourage lincoln and convince anne although the attachment was growing and daily becoming an intense and mutual passion the young lady remained firm and almost inflexible she was passing through another fire a long struggle with her feelings followed but at length the inevitable moment came she consented to have lincoln provided he gave her time to write to mcnamer and obtain his release from her pledge the slow-moving mails carried her tender letter to new york days and weeks which to the ardent lincoln must have seemed painfully long passed but the answer never came in a half-hearted way she turned to lincoln and her looks told him that he had won she accepted his proposal now that they were engaged he told her what she already knew that he was poverty itself she must grant him time to gather up funds to live on until he had completed his law studies after this trifling delay nothing on god's footstool argued the emphatic lover could keep them apart to this the thoughtful anne consented to one of her brothers she said as soon as his studies are completed we are to be married but the ghost of another love could often rise unbidden before her within her bosom raged the conflict which finally undermined her health late in the summer she took to her bed a fever was burning in her head day by day she sank until all hope was banished during the latter days of her sickness her physician had forbidden visitors to enter her room prescribing absolute quiet but her brother relates that she kept inquiring for lincoln so continuously at times demanding to see him that the family at last sent for him on his arrival at her bedside the door was closed and he was left alone with her what was said what vows and revelations were made during this sad interview were known only to him and the dying girl a few days afterward she became unconscious and remained so until her death on the twenty-fifth day of august eighteen thirty five she was buried in what is known as the concord graveyard about seven miles northwest of the town of petersburg footnote i have heard mother say that anne would frequently sing for lincoln's benefit she had a clear ringing voice early in her illness he called and she sang a hymn for which he always expressed a great preference it begins vain man thy fond pursuits forbear you will find it in one of these standard hymn-books it was likewise the last thing she ever sung letter john m rutledge manuscript november twenty fifth eighteen sixty six the most astonishing and sad sequel to this courtship was the disastrous effect of Miss Rutledge's death on Mr. Lincoln's mind. It operated strangely on one of his calm and stoical make-up. As he returned from the visit to the bedside of Miss Rutledge, he stopped at the house of a friend who relates that his face showed signs of no little mental agony he was very much distressed is the language of this friend and i was not surprised when it was rumoured subsequently that his reason was in danger one of miss rutledge's brothers says one of miss rutledge's brothers says the effect upon mr lincoln's mind was terrible he became plunged in despair and many of his friends feared that reason would desert her throne his extraordinary emotions were regarded as strong evidence of the existence of the tenderest relations between himself and the deceased the truth is mr lincoln was strangely wrought up over the sad ending of the affair he had fits of great mental depression and wandered up and down the river and into the woods woefully abstracted at times in the deepest distress if when we read what the many credible persons who knew him at the time tell us we do not conclude that he was deranged we must admit that he walked on that sharp and narrow line, which divides sanity from insanity. To one friend he complained that the thought that the snows and rains fall upon her grave filled him with indescribable grief. He was watched with especial vigilance during damp, stormy days, under the belief that dark and gloomy weather might produce such a depression of spirits as to induce him to take his own life his condition finally became so alarming his friends consulted together and sent him to the house of a kind friend Bolin green who lived in a secluded spot hidden by the hills a mile south of town here he remained for some weeks under the care and ever watchful eye of his noble friend who gradually brought him back to reason or at least a realization of his true condition in the years that followed mr lincoln never forgot the kindness of green through those weeks of suffering and peril in eighteen forty two, when the latter died and Lincoln was selected by the Masonic Lodge to deliver the funeral oration, he broke down in the midst of his address. Quote, his voice was choked with deep emotion. He stood a few moments while his lips quivered in the effort to form the words of fervent praise he sought to utter and the tears ran down his yellow and shrivelled cheeks every heart was hushed at the spectacle after repeated efforts he found it impossible to speak and strode away bitterly sobbing to the widow's carriage and was driven from the scene it was shortly after this that dr james duncan placed in lincoln's hands a poem called immortality the piece starts out with the line oh why should the spirits of mortal be proud lincoln's love for this poem has certainly made it immortal he committed these lines to memory and any reference to or mention of miss rutledge would suggest them as if to celebrate a grief which lay with continual heaviness on his heart mr lincoln's spells of melancholy became more intense than ever in fact a tinge of this desperate feeling of sadness followed him from springfield he himself was somewhat superstitious about it and in eighteen forty-two forty-one, wrote to Dr. Drake, a celebrated physician in Cincinnati, describing his mental condition in a long letter. Dr. Drake responded, saying substantially, I cannot prescribe in your case without a personal interview. Joshua F. Speed, to whom Lincoln showed the letter, addressed to Dr. Drake, writing to me from Louisville, November thirtieth, 1866, says, I think he, Lincoln, must have informed Dr. Drake of his early love for Miss Rutledge, as there was a part of the letter which he would not read. It is shown by the declaration of Mr. Lincoln himself made to a fellow-member of the legislature within two years after ann rutledge's death that although he seemed to others to enjoy life rapturously yet when alone he was so overcome by mental depression he never dared to carry a pocket-knife it may not be amiss to suggest before i pass from mention of mcnamer that true to his promise he drove into new salem in the fall of 1835 with his mother and brothers and sisters they had come through from new york in a wagon with all their portable goods and rutledge had meanwhile died and mcnamer could only muse in silence over the fading visions of what might have been on his arrival he met lincoln Who, with the memory of their mutual friend now dead, constantly before him seemed desolate and sorely distressed. The little acre of ground in Concord Cemetery contained the form of his first love rudely torn from him, and the great world throbbing with life, but cold and heartless, lay spread before him. End of section 8.